Uh, we're going to be doing a series uh, leading into uh, Christmas called Redeeming Christmas. That's what we're going to be doing. So it's going to be a bit more of a topical series rather than working through a book of the Bible. If you've been around the project for long enough, then you've noticed that we use a lot of words starting with re. Have you noticed that? Like lots of them. So, so many that people can find it super confusing. In fact, I remember having a chat with one of the staff members of the church who, after having worked for the church for a little while, um, was still confused about which reword we were using at what point in time. Uh, and something of what's been happening for us as a church recently is we've just been mopping up our terminology and the way that we talk about things so that things are clearer and much simpler. But if you've been around for a while, you might have heard us use words like redeem, redemption, recalibrate, restore, restoration, renovate. And as a side note in the uh, church, we're just going to boil things down to two going forward. Okay, so it's really clear. So it's Restoration Church in the beginning of February and Restore Groups, which really are a... um, a group that sits underneath our ministry, Restore Ministries. Uh, We won't be avoiding using the others from time to time, but only as they appear in Scripture. Uh, And this is one of the reasons why we use most of those words that I just put up on screen before, because most of them actually do show up in Scripture. And why do they show up in Scripture? Well, that's a good question. Here's another question I can ask. What do they all have in common? They all start with the prefix re. And what does re mean? Let me tell you what re means. It means, again, a new, back, backward, repeated. And uh, so when it comes to uh, us as a church and uh, where God's leading us next year, the key words for us are restore and restoration. And what we're talking about when we talk about restoration is we're talking about the return of something to an early condition by repairing it, cleaning it, or doing something to get it back to where it was. It's about renewing and rebuilding something. And we love stories of restoration, right? We watch TV shows about it. We hear stories about it. We tell stories about it. We say to people, did you hear about that person? They were in this kind of situation and, and listen to how it came out. Look at what actually happened through it all. We go and watch movies that are about restoration. There's another word that's kind of tied to restoration that pops up in the Bible, and it actually pops up more frequently than the word restoration in the Bible, and it starts with re, and that's redemption. Redemption. You know, redemption and restoration are key parts of stories. And I actually think this is why we love engaging with stories so much. You know, when you watch or listen to or read about a story where there's no redemption and no restoration, it's pretty gut-wrenching. Have you ever had that? Um, I remember uh, watching a movie, which I won't go into detail about now, but I remember watching this movie, uh, at the director's cut of the movie, which came out on, does anyone remember DVDs? Yeah. It came out on DVD and it was the director's cut. And the, the movie, when it uh, came out in the cinemas, had a happy ending. The movie on the director's cut was, had a gut-wrenching ending. And I remember watching it and just going, Ugh. and I was like that for about three days, to be honest. It was a very, impacting, a very impacting movie, but it was very, very disappointing and depressing. And the reality is the difference between the cinematic release... 
and the DVD release is that directors know, the people who are marketing it know that people can't handle sad endings. <laughs> they want a happy ending. They want restoration. They want redemption. What's redemption? Redemption is kind of like restoration, but it has the idea of paying a price. It's the deliverance from evil through the payment of some kind of price. You can hear this word used. um, It's kind of inversely proportional in a sense. People will talk about restoration more than redemption. In culture, Scripture talks about redemption more than restoration. But you will hear the word redemption thrown around in culture. And one of the places where it gets thrown around is uh, in the sporting world. They'll say that such and such, it was their day of redemption. And what are they really saying when they say that? Well, what they're really saying is this person had something happen, uh, perhaps something that they did and it locked them up in failure. But then they did something good. They tried hard. They succeeded. And it brought or secured their redemption. Redemption and restoration go together. Redemption has the idea not just of restoring something to a particular state, but the need to pay a price to release someone from something. These are key parts of uh, the stories that we tell and the stories that we engage with. And I want to just uh, run through uh, for you the the typical, you you all know this, I'm not telling you anything new, but the typical rhythm of a story. Ready? Here's how the stories typically go for us. Everything's good. Something bad happens. A hero comes along and does something heroic. There's some key resolutions to the problem. And then there's a happy ending. That's, that's the basic rhythm of most stories. And I want to suggest to you this morning, the reason why we like stories like that so much, uh, the reason why we like stories of redemption and restoration is because they're the backstory of the whole universe. So they are. I remember, um, I've shared this story here before, but I'll share it again because it's so relevant to what I'm talking about. I remember getting my hair cut at one point in time and I was uh, talking to my hairdresser uh, who uh, was an ex-Catholic and uh, we're talking about God, which we often do when he cuts my hair. And um, he, um, he said, you know, I like the Bible and, you know, there's some really good stuff in the Bible, some really helpful stuff in there. He said, but this whole thing about um, Jesus and God coming and dying on the cross for people. He goes, I just don't go in for that. And I said, well, why don't you go in for it? And he goes, I don't go in for it. He goes, because God wouldn't do that. That's not the kind of thing that he would do. And I said, well, what do you think he would do? He goes, he'd just get us. That's what he would do. God would just get us. And I kind of changed tack a little bit with him for a bit. And I said, have you ever noticed how... No one ever argues that when someone sacrifices themselves for someone else, that that's a good thing to do. Have you ever noticed that? He goes, yeah, that's true. He goes, I've never noticed anyone argue that self-sacrifice for the good of someone else is an evil thing. He goes, it's always a good thing. And I asked him this question. I said, so if, if everyone knows instinctively that self-sacrifice for the good of someone else is a good thing, Wouldn't that suggest that what sits in behind the whole of human history, what sits in behind reality, is that very thing? That God would actually come and self-sacrifice for the good of someone else? And he said, yeah, that's a good point. Didn't become a Christian, but we had a good conversation. 
This is the reality, right? I think this is the reality of why people love redemption, stories of redemption and restoration because they're the backstory of everything that's going on. But when we think about the biblical story, this story of redemption and restoration, there's a little bit of a tweak on the story of redemption and restoration as opposed to the ones that we see in the movies. And it goes like this. God's plan is to go not beginning, middle, end, which is like most of our stories. God's story goes beginning, middle, beginning. That's what it goes. Beginning, middle, beginning. Um, It's what theologians have taught for a long time. It's what the scriptures teach. Let me run you through it. Here's the biblical story. There's a beginning. Corruption comes. Evil and sin come in. Jesus comes along. He's the hero. There's some progressive restoration and resolution to things. And you know where we end up at the end? Back at the beginning. (laughs) Back at the beginning. Let me, um, let me zip you through this. Here's the beginning. Genesis 1. God creates the heaven and the earth. And we see this refrain in Genesis 1 verse 9 to 10. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. What's the refrain? You see over and over in creation. And God said, and it was so, and it was good always why because God's good and and when God does something he can never do anything that's not good so everything was good absolutely everything was good and then we get into Genesis chapter 2 and we see this and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food Imagine being in a place like that. It's an amazing place, right? It would just, if it was me, it was like mango trees. That's it. That's all I need. Year-round bearing mango trees. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. Beautiful, isn't it? Everything was good. It was good because God had made it and he is good. It's a delightful picture But we all know it didn't actually last very long. Before long, that fateful day where humanity fell arrived and corruption came. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, the very nature of the fall of humanity lets you in on its DNA corruption you see what the uh, the devil's doing here is he's tricking and calling into question he's tricking adam and eve and he's calling into question god's goodness what god said this is the way that sin works it's the way that evil always works it's a wrecker it's a spoiler that's what it does sin isn't this glob of something that sits and evil is not just this glob of something that somehow we've got to find it and destroy it It's like rust. (laughs) Sin and evil just come in like rust and they rust away things that are good. That's how it works. It's the corruption of the good. 
2 Peter 2, 18 to 19. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Sin and evil is like rust. It's corrosive. It just erodes the good. Now, when you find something that has been corroded and eroded, by evil and sin, what are your options? Well, one of your options is you could just ignore it, right? And this is, if you know a little bit about philosophy and theology, this is kind of the deist kind of God. The God kind of wound the the world up and he just kind of left the place and left us to our own devices. You could ignore it. God could have ignored it. A second option when you find something that's been corroded and eroded by sin and evil is you could dispose of it. This is kind of the throwaway society that we've kind of taken for granted now, right? Um, when it doesn't work anymore, you just throw it out. That's what you do. I mean, we just don't repair as much stuff anymore. Has anyone noticed it? Some people, their appliances, and I'm not, I'm not having a go because it, it kind of makes sense a lot of the time, but appliances break down and we just go, oh, I'm not even going to get a repairman to come and give me a quote on it. All right, we might as well just go and buy another one. We'll just throw it out. Uh, sometimes we, uh, we get them checked and, uh, and we find out what's wrong and the repairman says, it's not worth getting fixed. Throw it out. This is what happens when something breaks down often is, uh, this is one of our options is just to throw it out. And I want to ask you this morning, as, imagine what that would be like if God actually did that with humans. All right? What would you think of that? Imagine God came along and he said, no, nah, too much of a mess. I can make another one whenever I want anyway. Throw it out. Imagine he walked into a rehab center and said, no, nah, too much hassle. It's going to cost me too much. Just chuck him out. Or he walks into a jail And he goes, nah, nah, too much hassle, too much work. Or or even walking physically, speaking of physical things, walks into a hospital where people are sick, nah, chuck them out, get rid of them. But he doesn't, right? He doesn't do that because there's a third option when it comes to finding something that's been corroded and eroded by sin, and that's... Uh, repairing, redeeming, or restoring it. What's that? Well, that's where we take something back to its original condition. We still do this, right? But just not as much as we used to do it. People have got cars that they restore, chairs that they restore, furniture. It's grand, isn't it? This is why we love it so much, is you get this, this old thing, whatever that old thing is, and you go... Nah, we're not going to throw it out. I'm going to bring this back to its former glory. That's what we talk about. We make it sing again. A car, a chair, a a house, a person, right? This is what God does. This is God's heart with everything, is to actually bring it back to its former glory. And I want to say to you this morning, he specializes on doing it with people. God's heart is not to throw people out. 
not to discard them, but to redeem and restore them. How do we know it? Well, we know it because in the middle of God's story, Jesus came as a saviour, as a redeemer, a rescuer, a restorer. We see this in Matthew one twenty one in the narrative of, the, of uh, Jesus' birth. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You see, that's redemption going on there because there's a price being paid to rescue someone. You get into Titus 2, verse 13 to 14, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to, what's that word? Redeem, redeem us. Pay a price to get us back from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous to do good stuff. We, as humanity, we were stuck in evil and Jesus came to redeem and restore. Is that good news? And that's the beauty of it. Like you give your life to Jesus and not only does that give you a sudden jolt of restoration and redemption, but it actually puts you on the track of complete restoration. That's what we find. We get into 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, and we see this progressive restoration spoken about. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. We're image bearers of God. We bear his likeness, and that likeness returns as we behold his glory from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amazing, right? This is where we're going. And then... Here's the end point. This, remember I said to you that mostly stories have uh, a beginning, a middle and an ending, but the biblical story has a beginning, a middle and a beginning. Here's, here's what I'm talking about. We just read this section out of Genesis 2, verse 8 to 10. Look at where we're going. Revelation 22, 1 to 4. Jesus comes back. This is where he's taking us. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. This is, we're going back to the garden. You see that? That's what's going on. There's rivers, there's trees, God's going to be there. That's what we see back in Genesis 1 and 2. And there you have it. The world was good. We disobeyed God and messed ourselves and the rest of his world up. Jesus came to redeem and restore us and we'll end up back where we started. It's good news. Everything good and we're with God again. But what does that mean for now? Well, what it means for now is that we're actually living in a world where things are at various stages of corruption and drifting from what God originally intended, right? Um, Nothing is untouched by the corruption caused by sin. Everything is affected by the rust of sin and evil. The good news is that good is not entirely absent and the reason why it's not absent is because God's here. And while ever God's here, there's going to be good. And, you know, I don't know whether you notice this, but every now and then the press... um, likes to say this they used to say they like to say that something is pure evil you know i think 
in, in the truest sense of the world, is anything pure evil? On one sense you could say yes, and in another sense you could say, well, it's a corruption of the good. That's actually what it is. Uh, and it's been corrupted. The good has been corrupted to such an extent that it's been lost under the evil which has assaulted it. And so I guess my encouragement for you and the way that I like to live my life is not just to look for the things that are evil but to look underneath it and just go what was the original good state that has actually been rusted and corroded by evil and sin because there's something in there where that's actually happened don't just keep uh, a lookout for evil keep a lookout for the for the good which has been corrupted by the evil because God's in the business of redemption and restoration this is, this is God's way of doing business, is he wants to redeem and restore. So it's not just about finding the bad thing and just quarantining it and getting it out of there. It's like, what's the good that's been corrupted and how can we recover that good? Now, theologians use what I think is a, um, a pretty helpful framework in understanding how should we, we should engage with culture. Um, and many of you probably have heard of this before, and it's uh, this taxonomy uh, receive reject redeem because the big question for christians is how are we to engage with culture if there's all this evil out there do we just stay separate from it and not go anywhere near it and i would suggest to you that that's not what jesus does jesus comes right down into the heart of it and he's part of it and he wants to bring it back and restore it and redeem it so i think you've got three um, options when it comes to um, the way that you engage with culture let me run through them quickly and then I'm going to wrap up um, the first one's receive there's things in our culture like nothing is actually ultimately 100% perfect but there's things in our culture that we can just receive as predominantly good things um, they're fundamentally good let me give you a few examples now it can be used badly but technology is something that we can receive the internet right it's not inherently an evil thing it can be a very very helpful thing we can receive information from academic sources people can do can do research and we can read the research and go that's really helpful it's really helpful to know that If you've got a problem with your brain, you'd be really happy to receive the, uh, the skill and expertise of a neurosurgeon, for example, all right? Um, they've learned some things. Um, the education of children, that's a good thing, you know? Now, you might argue, well, there's some parts of it that aren't good, and I'd go, absolutely, but fundamentally, it's a good thing. We think it's good to educate kids. Caring for the sick, one that we don't talk as much in the, pro in the project and perhaps could talk a bit more about is environmental care. God did give a mandate to humanity to care for this place. And so it's a good thing to, uh, to care for the place environmentally. And you go, well, it gets loaded up with other things. And I just go, yeah, yeah. But fundamentally, we can just go with it. We can receive looking after the planet is a good thing to do. Second one, reject. Now, there's things in our culture where we just don't want to accept those at all. And we look at it and we just go, look, there isn't a Christian version of it. Um, there's no such thing as Christian drug dealing. <laughs> all right? There just isn't. There's no such thing as Christian drunkenness, Christian injustice, Christian immorality. 
There's no such thing as Christian genocide, Christian abortion, Christian materialism, Christian adultery. There's, you just go one after the other. There's, there's a bunch of things that it's like, we, we're not going to redeem that. That's just something It's like, no, we actually don't want to do that. That's, that sits in the reject category. They're fundamentally wrong. There is the corruption of something good in there somewhere, but they aren't things in themselves that we can make go in a holy, righteous direction. Last one, redeem. These are the things we can bring back from an unhealthy place and enrich them with God. Um, Often they're the remnants of something good that God has created. Perhaps there's the kernel of something good still sitting underneath, underneath and it needs to be rescued and and brought out broken marriages, uh, sex, Facebook and Twitter, um, and family. I mean, family something I'd, I want to put in the receive category, but there's a fair bit going on with family in our culture and the definition of family that uh, makes me think that family's moving from receive to redeem uh, categories. It's, it's getting more and more in the redeem category. You get the idea? There's things there. It's like fundamentally, we can work with that. But it needs, needs the work of God in it to really make it go. Um, sometimes there's a secular good which needs to be deepened by who God is. If you go to the first century, you see this concept that Paul talks about in the Bible about the, the household. And I've talked about it here at the project before, but the household in the, in, in the first century is massive in the Roman Empire. Massive. Um, I mean, the whole of the Roman Empire was considered to be Caesar's household. So if you notice, when you read Paul's letters in particular, you notice, you'll see this idea of the household pop up pretty regularly. What's Paul doing? Well, he's taking something that's a societal construct and he's deepening it and making it much more significant and profound by saying that we all who love Jesus are part of God's household. The biological household is not ultimate. You know, Paul's kind of taking it way, way, way deeper. You see what he's doing is uh, there's a concept that's got a whole lot of merit to it that connects in with the way that God made things and he's grabbing it and kind of redeeming it and driving it even deeper, making it more significant. So here's where I'm going to finish this morning. In the light of this, what do we do with Christmas? (laughs) All right, Christmas is a month away. Receive. Reject or redeem? It's probably fair to say that there's been Christians that would fall in all of these. All right? There's Christians that would fall in all of these. But I want to suggest to you this morning that if you sit in the receive camp, I would encourage you just to think about that because I think there are problems with uncritically absorbing the way that our culture talks about Christmas. Okay, there's lots and lots of good stuff in it. There is lots of good stuff in it. But if you just receive it without thinking it through and thinking about what you're doing, um, you'll receive some things that are a bit messy. You know, you can go back, and I've done some research about the origins of Christmas, you know, and there's plenty of contested stuff about where Christmas came from um, in terms of how it started. But one thing that's clear about it, if you go back and have a look at the um, all the people that comment on where Christmas came from, it has clearly Christian roots. Clearly Christian roots. Um, but many of these have been lost, right? 
um, in the whole deal. So receive, I'd put a question mark on it. Reject? Should we reject it? Some have done this. Stay away from it. Don't celebrate it. Don't engage with it. And I would suggest to you this morning uh, that if we reject Christmas, we've rejected a good opportunity. I think the way to go for us when it comes to Christmas is uh, to redeem it. I think this is what we're after, but in a Roman household kind of way, right? We'll take something that is happening in our culture and deepen it and make it more significant and more meaningful. I think there's fundamental good to be found if you drill down into the centre of Christmas. And I think it's good for us to actually bring that out and be clear about that ourselves. And that's what we're going to do in this series in the lead up to Christmas. Um, We're going to do things like redeeming gift giving, redeeming relationships. Who knows that relationships can be really hard at Christmas time, you know? They're supposed to be really fun. It's a family time when everyone gets together, right? But you, uh, you get together and there can be all sorts of political things going on inside of families in terms of who's talking to who and who thinks what. Uh, it can be hard sometimes when everyone gets together. And so our heart in this series as we go through to, um, toward Christmas is um, to just look at a bunch of those things and just like, how can we redeem these things and deepen them and, and be people that hold to something that's really, really good in a way that's helpful to other people around us. What we want to do is uh, recover the good, reject the bad and deepen the meaning. That's what we're after. Okay, so uh, if you're around in um, December on Sundays, that's where we're going. And um, it should be good. Um, we want to be uh, people who are, uh, who are bright lights in an often dark world around us.